0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Hey, everyone. Uh, Welcome to um, Savage to Sage podcast. I am honored uh, to um, have as a guest, Greg Enos, who is a friend of mine and an incredible leader within the Indianapolis community. Greg has had um, extensive experience as an inventor catalyst for the past 11 years. Um, And currently, he serves as the vice chairman for Chorus Incorporated, which is a consulting company. And then before that, he was a senior director at Lilly for nearly 30 years. Greg, thanks so much for being on the show and appreciate you making the time.
1: Great to be with you, Kyle, and a happy new year to you.
0: Thanks. Okay. So there's a lot to share about your history, but can you kind of share a kind of a concise bio about kind of your professional achievements? Sure.
1: I came here straight out of graduate school in Virginia uh, to Eli Lilly. They recruited me. Couldn't believe I ended up in the Midwest. I'm from Berkeley, California originally, and thought I'd either spend my life in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia or back in the San Francisco Bay Area. But I fell in love with Lily on my first interview. And uh, in the middle of a cold, snowy February, I said to myself, if they offer me a job, I'm going there. I had offers elsewhere. New York City was very attractive to me as an unmarried guy at the time. But Lily uh, got me and I got them. and, And that's what led to 30 wonderful years there and really falling in love with Indianapolis as a community.
0: Oh, that's so awesome. That's so awesome. <laughs> so tell me what was what was starting out your career at Lily? I mean, there's been so many wonderful things um, and such an incredible impact that they've made. like it, they've kind of been the the standard as far as how companies run and operate. So how was that for you?
1: One thing I really appreciated that I sensed right away was the corporate culture and how embedded it was in the broader culture of the city. Whether it be through the company itself, making life preserving and life-saving medicines, but also through the endowment. yeah, and I saw what they were doing, and I saw how the corporation and the endowment fed off each other in beautiful ways, and uh, that has always inspired me, as far as having a business which has a very noble cause to prolong and save human life and to make mm-hmm. life more fulfilling, but also then, Uh, with its profits, to convert those into even further profit with a purpose, with its social impact through the endowment. And of course, our city has benefited tremendously uh, over the decades because of that
0: relationship. A lot to be said there. Yeah, um, that's incredible. And I I kind of feel um, a bit uh, just as a beneficiary, just as somebody that's moved to the Indianapolis area for the past, you know, uh, it'll be six years now, but I've seen in small ways, but I can imagine you've seen it in such a granular scale being affiliated with Lily for for a long period of time.
1: Yeah, uh, it's been really a double blessing. Uh, and, yeah. you know, truly human health was was always something I, I felt I wanted to get into. Initially, yeah. not knowing what to do out of high school, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll be a physician. I just But uh, I went to uh, my undergraduate program in L.A., and right away I met a woman who said, don't become a physician. You know, use your analytical math skills uh, to go into more of the quantitative side of science, yeah. and you'll help even broader populations. And so that's what Lily had allowed me to do is leverage my quantitative skills and ultimately my uh, ability to negotiate with government authorities to get drugs on the market. Uh, to actually impact millions of people uh, at, a, at a high level. So that was very fulfilling. And uh, Lilly continues to do a great job. Uh, they're moving into different therapeutic areas. They've always been cutting edge. And Kyle, the one thing I always heard and noticed myself about Lilly is that it always punched above its weight. We've never, mm-hmm. thankfully, gone through an M&A. Uh, yeah. We've never, you know, all those things that might... Uh, destroy a culture or might even pull people out of a a city, right? As you, you merge and, and whatnot. Lily has been able to survive on its own uh, with God's help, I believe. And uh, so to be able to punch above its weight has always been sort of who I am, Uh, a little guy who's tried to punch a little more than my weight.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love it. (laughs) Totally love it. That's so great. So you know, you, you've you talked a little bit about kind of your start at Lilly. When you started on, you wanted to be a physician. You wanted to kind of do something with more analytics. Kind of what led you on your trajectory as far as as you started on your career and as you've kind of continued on your career?
1: Well, I started at Lilly in analytics what's known now is advanced analytics you know and as the company gets into all kinds of amazing technologies we were at the early end in statistical and mathematical sciences my own uh, graduate work was actually in nascent forms of of machine learning and artificial intelligence all that so it's been really cool to to see how all that's coming about but from a statistical perspective where we don't like the black boxes that are used now you can't interpret these predictions that all these algorithms are making, but statisticians like to know sort of why a black box is making predictions, and that's sort of uh, my emphasis. But as I moved through the company, uh, the relationship between decision-making at the highest level and analytics started to come to the forefront, and I was able also to lead a group helping uh, R&D executives allocate their billions of dollars of annual capital uh, using Quantitative decision methods to help not make the decision uh, in a robotic sense, but to inform the decision makers as to what the trade-offs were in and with the uncertainties involved and the risks and and the opportunities that were involved. So that was very exciting. And then finally, the last thirteen years of my career was in regulatory affairs, uh, representing all the scientific medical data uh, that Lilly was generating around each of its franchise. New products to the Food and Drug Administration, in particular in Washington, and coming to agreement on the benefit to risk and how uh, we could move those products to market. So, those early skills parlayed their way into decision making, into negotiation, and really helping move the needle to keep the company going by bringing an innovative tranche of new products to market.
0: That's fascinating. So, it started out with statistics. You know, kind of moving away from the physician kind of, you know, like option as a way to promote health and life to I'm going to use data in order to kind of collect that to kind of see on kind of a macro level, which then led into advisement is as far as advising the company's leaders and then from there, it was kind of policy making from there based on that data sets.
1: Exactly. You know, okay. Kyle. So that okay. has been a, a really neat value chain to see, create, to help create it, and to move Lily into the forefront of that kind of you, leveraging information uh, yes. to really produce results at the
0: back end. Yes. Oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. I love it. Very, very cool. So when you think about your career, and this could be at Lilly or elsewhere, what were some of the kind of the biggest professional, biggest personal tests that was a teacher to you throughout your career?
1: Well, since, uh, you know, we were the curators and sort of imprimatur, good housekeeping seal of approval on all medical data, all patient data that Lilly generated, uh, there was a great joy of being able to, be the first to know if the drug was working or not, you know, as you analyze the yeah. trial data, but also a very serious burden where everybody from the CEO and, and on down wanted to know what's going on, you know? And so a lot of crisis management because science is messy and Lilly's yeah. a scientific firm. There's no straight line from here to there. And so to navigate that lots of crisis management, having to fly different places at midnight or Phone calls late at night. I mean, you sort of you get a, a thick shell there, and yeah. young young statisticians like myself or others moving up to have to present to very senior management and in uh, tense environments is something that uh, I don't wish on anyone necessarily. But on the other hand, I learned a lot, and it was worth it all because of what Lily was able to do to navigate ethically and scientifically well through. A maze of issues and problems along the way. So, those skills learned as in, on the job have then helped me with some of my uh, founder ventures on the outside of the company.
0: Okay, okay, that's re- that's really really helpful. I, I can imagine I've um, that side of leverage of consultation, real time, really affecting a company right there, and being able to like kind of watch that that. I, wow, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for sharing that. You bet so, um, let's talk a little bit about kind of like outside of Lily now. You know, we've shared uh, a bit more, but kind of what are some of the ventures that you're currently focusing on and have been outside of Lily?
1: Uh, while I was at Lily, uh, I moved into a downtown neighborhood. That had traditionally been known as Dodge City with bullets flying and needles on the ground. And my colleagues at Lilly thought I was somewhat weird and strange to (laughs) move into an old Victorian home and fix it up with my friend who purchased it with me and then bring other guys in to live with us. But our mission drove us to be there. We were working with the Community Outreach Center at 23rd and Guilford, and we wanted to mentor kids in the the neighborhoods, business. Businesses had fled. White flight had set in. You know, the, the neighborhood was disintegrating in many ways. But because we're followers of Jesus and believe in the dignity of every human being, uh, we felt particularly called to help uh, the leader of that operation, Percy Scruggs, come alongside these young boys and, and mentor them. Uh, some of them succeeded. Some did not, from a worldly perspective one very close young friend of ours was shot to death on his porch and it was that kind of environment uh, mm-hmm. there. I, and I previously, a few months earlier, taken him out to Colorado to climb a 14,000 foot uh, peak. Uh-huh. So it's just those kinds of relationships. But out of that, uh, I you know, begin to bring people in the neighborhood and it's a long story beyond what this podcast can cover, but I was the founding uh, board chair for the Oaks Academy which is a classical Christ-centered school that's offering the finest education K through eighth grade to anyone from any racial or ethnic or socioeconomic background, and our mission was to be intentionally diverse. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, we didn't need any any office title, diversity, inclusion, uh, or uh, anything like that because we, by our DNA, were committed to diversity. Inclusion and equity from the get go, and mm. so that now has uh, you know it's a it's a large K through eight program on three campuses throughout uh, down in in central uh, Indianapolis, and uh, so I'm very thankful for that. Very a lot of challenges along the way, but uh, the school's been blessed and continues to grow and be true to its mission. So that's one venture that I was at the I was a co-founder of uh, through the. Through the background of on the while working at Lilly on the side being an entrepreneur, uh, taking things that I couldn't do within the large corporate world and, and achieving some ability to affect social change and, and human change uh, on the outside. I, that's a you know I, another related venture was uh, this non traditional sports venture called Gyro Sports. Uh, okay. at twenty fifth and and uh, Keystone. Uh, I was uh, a founder of that enterprise. We hired the executive director. We located a facility uh, and that facility now and the program in its essence has been taken over ultimately by the First Shepherd Community Center and then Edna Martin Christian Center. And there's a beautiful KIPP Legacy High School sitting on that property. Edna Martin uh, has a huge facility there carrying on the spirit of that sense of, of work in the community, uh, leading to the healing and flourishing of of the neighborhood, and and so that those are those are two things that happened while I was at Lilly. Now I did retire from Lilly in 2011, and I formed my own little one man company, Innovative LLC. Yeah, uh, and so out of that umbrella, I've been doing a number of th- number of ventures. I before I've started to focus now on Indianapolis. Uh, I did some work with some friends and partners through a local law firm, Fagri, what was then Baker, Baker Daniels, now Fagre Drinker for a couple of years. And then I led an organization on the eastern shore of Maryland that worked with young uh, collegiate high capacity uh, graduate leaders to grow them. But since 2018, I've been solely focused on Indianapolis through a number of things uh, that I'm working on, both place-based uh and as well as ventures in urban indianapolis primarily perfect
0: thank you that that is an excellent description of kind of i mean so it's like you had lily um as your main career but then that was also kind of a springboard to do other social ventures outside uh, yeah um and that's amazing and it, yeah it's such a good description as far as I didn't know about the thing in Maryland, um, but that, that sounds amazing. Um, and then, and then the, the, the intentional focus within Indianapolis, you know, since I've known you, that's been like kind of front and center. So I think it's beautiful, uh, the way that you've committed to a place mm-hmm. and to serving our city. Uh, there's something that I'll say that is very admirable about that. And I'm just, I'm just so thankful for, for your leadership in that. So, yeah.
1: To that point, you know, I I have fallen in love with the city. My wife is from Bloomington, so uh, I didn't have to fall in love with the city. Other people saying, great, got to move back to California. No, this city has some unique characteristics. And my passion, Kyle, is to make sure that we don't fall prey to mediocrity because there's a danger now and there's evidence uh, of Indianapolis falling prey to mediocrity. Mm -hmm. And my journey that I'm on in this city working within the city across institutions across geographies, across uh, race and gender is to make sure that we move from any sense of mediocrity to exceptional I believe Lily has uh, I believe Indy has the substrate founded on what Lily did to as they say Colonel Lilly said take what you find and make it better and I believe Indianapolis of any city in the nation has the opportunity, and the wherewithal, if we're courageous enough, if we're willing to not go down and be distracted by all sorts of arguing and partisanship and whatnot and highfalutin, uh, you know, ideas, to really become an exceptional city, and that's what uh, keeps me here. As now, I've pulled the for sale sign out of the front of my house twice because my wife and I are committed here, and so I am. I, I'm involved with a. Uh, a co-working space development in the Martindale-Brightwood, their Hillsong neighborhood, Hillside neighborhood downtown, yeah. as a center for redemptive entrepreneurship. I'm a co-founder of uh, a laboratory and accelerator for bringing founders and their ventures that have what we call a redemptive edge to them, i.e. they must be profitable, but they do it in a way that allows them through their enterprise to lead to the creative restoration of their their world, their customer base, their stakeholders through sacrifice. And that's Mm -hmm. hard when you talk about sacrifice, about what you're going to give up and what you're going to lose. But as I've learned, and I continue to learn, along with many others, that sometimes you lose in order to all collectively win together. And uh, that's the example Jesus showed us, of course, in the world's eyes. He lost with his death, but collectively uh, what he's doing to Redeem the world and restore the world is just beautiful. And I want to follow in that. And my partners and I want to follow that by helping founders in their ventures not only build profitable enterprise, but profit with a purpose again in in ways that truly lead to, to human flourishing and restoration. So I'm excited. We're starting up our accelerator in just a couple of weeks. We have four ventures, three from Indy and one from Lafayette in our first cohort. And next year, we hope to expand that to us a pipeline of about six to eight ventures a year that are bringing in the finest, high capacity, humble, ambitious founders into the mix, attracting capital and uh, let, you know, making sure that if a Hoosier graduates from college and they have a venture, they aren't moving to California, New York. We want to keep them here and vice versa, attract others here. So that's another exciting thing we're doing uh, with respect to uh, entrepreneurship.
0: That's great. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm going to shift a little bit more into kind of, you know, building team, building culture kind mm-hmm. of through your experience. You know, mm-hmm. When you've thought about putting together right fit, right team, you know, how, how do you go about finding like um, core team members for ventures that you're putting together um, or when you're hiring for for a position?
1: That's what brought me to Lily. Is the okay. relationships I forged? Yeah. What the environment wasn't the city. It is. Can I become a friend with my colleague? Friendship yeah. is really important to me. And one of our ventures that you know of is Citizen Seven Indy, which is just yeah. making strangers into friends and building friendships, diverse friendships, uh, having fun together, and yeah. crowdsourcing love into the city. Well, that's always been my notion of team building. Yeah. Is uh, and I tell my sons, I tell any, as I mentor a lot of people is you, you need to find people of high character, high ethics that you can lock arm in arm and have their back when tough, when times get tough. Yeah. And so that's what I view is how do people meld into the mix and how yeah. do you intentionally take people where, you know, that's, you know, I thrive on diversity. Everybody has a unique role. Everybody has, has dignity. How do you leverage that? But the common bottom line is, I'm here for you. So yeah. for example, at Lilly, we had performance metrics that we had, that I, as a, a leader, had to sort of, I was accountable for results. But what I brought to my team in a unique way, I thought, I may, again, have been thought as sort of an oddball by, by others. But I said, it's not just what we're going to produce. It's how we're going to produce it. And that how is so important amongst the team. And so I judged all of my lieutenants and others in my organizations on not only what were they producing and hopefully it was really good results, but how they did it. You know, if they did it by themselves, by creating a a trail of dead bodies and walking over them, they they weren't gonna be part of my team. They had to lift up the others in their team in order to achieve the results that, uh, they were accountable for.
0: Yeah. When you say that, um, how, you know, how are they doing it? That's uh, right. the, the question that I always come across is what is the cost? You know, right. like I can, I can do X, Y, Z or whatever, but what is the cost to, My physical body, my, you know, emotionally to Mm -hmm. my family, to all of those things, to my relationships (laughs) with others. And there's a cost for the production that I have or don't have. And if it, if it's not harmonious, it's Mm -hmm. not good for me or anybody else. So I just, I really like how you said, you know, how were they doing it? And is it a representation of something that is good and is life-giving to themselves and to others around them?
1: That's right. You know, during COVID, we saw a lot of front yard signs saying, love your neighbor, or, or, you know, and that's good. That's very well intended. But you can't unless you carry the full message that Jesus and others have taught throughout the years. We're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And unless you get that, unless you have a reservoir a capacity to love and you've yeah. experienced love, you cannot give love. Yeah. That's been one of my journey. My journeys as an entrepreneur is oftentimes when you're a founder, when you're, you have a thick shell and you're not vulnerable. And so that lack of vulnerability has led me at times not to receive from others, not to receive love from others, not to receive wholeness and, and help. You know, sometimes if you need help, you look like you're weak, right? And yeah. CEOs shy away from weakness. We want to present a strong, tough, uh, firm exterior. And yet, in order to truly love our neighbor, we have to be able to receive love ourselves, to be vulnerable. And then, in the overflow of that love, then that translates into our work and our calling, and our families and our teams and and anywhere
0: yeah no you just hit something i mean the ability a person's ability to receive love yes you know like you know having that as a metric so then then because at, at that point it that's where it's really authentic right exactly. if, if you can't receive that if you can't there's some sort of gap that's coming up that's not allowing that to actually be received to be, you know, deeply embodied, <clears throat> then the ability to serve others, uh, you know, maybe inauthentic, um, you know, not holistic, something along those lines where, and I, I really appreciate the point that you mentioned that CEOs, you know, typically we have, th- there, there has to be the tough shell, you know, and their ability to be able to not, be able to receive, but the flip side of that is that your effectiveness to be able to to care for people in a real significant manner and for your body to be able to receive just kind of wholeness, uh, um, it's going to be far more difficult, right? That's right. Teams and
1: communities in general need to be interdependent. They aren't dependent on the CEO. The CEOs not just totally depend on them. Interdependency is how we're designed as human beings. We need each other, but the CEO needs to set the pace, right? They need to lead. And so, if the CEO is not vulnerable, if the CEO is not willing or able to receive, then they won't be able to give. And that interdependency will be lost, and the team will be ineffective and it'll destroy some people along the way. And I've seen that happen, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, Families destroyed, businesses destroyed. Uh, other relationships destroyed without getting that right. And I certainly don't have it perfect now, just for me to learn how to receive love, even from my wife of 36 years. That's yeah. been a long journey for me and, yeah. and from others as well. So yeah. you you hit it, Kyle. And this is something that we're focusing on in the city of Indianapolis is how do we become not a dependent community, but an interdependent community where mm-hmm. rich and poor, black and white and brown, male and female can Relate to one another as brothers and sisters for the good of everybody.
0: Mm. That's great. Yeah. Thank you for that. You do an incredible job of encouraging, mentoring, leading. When you think about, you know, kind of uh, getting people to understand your overall vision and your why, how do you do that? Like, how do you attract people to kind of your vision, you know, um, for things for the city?
1: In my own mind, Kyle, I have a strong metaphor that motivates me. And even though sometimes people can't really grasp it because it's sort of strange, uh, but it may not be. And that vision is this. and Here's what motivates me in all that I do. My dream for our city is for little boys and girls to be nurtured and to be raised by a mom and dad who love each other, where they're able to meet around the table and enjoy a family dinner together regularly whatever that might be or lunch whatever it might be and, but the kids are experiencing the overflow of love between mother and father in their home and that because that impacts everything downstream mm-hmm. along with that it comes education comes becomes development of those young boys and girls into the workforce, into the inventors and creators, into the servant leaders that we need. From then come institutions that are held together strong by strong brick and mortar. It's love is the answer. And so that's what motivates me. And in particular, love between mom and dad at the overflow of which spills out and impacts not only their kids, but like my mom and dad showed me, impacted the whole neighborhood uh, yeah. of kids. And that that's really sort of the singular metric that I'm looking for. So when I'm asked to invest in businesses or to mentor someone or to look and and see how businesses are doing or not for profits as well, I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, how's this going to impact and result in greater love between mom and dad, the overflow spilling over into the lives of the children as they grow to move into the positions of leadership that we need across our city, across our country. You know, in in that uh, matter. So th- that's that's who I am. That's my that's my why.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, last couple of questions, and I think we've hit on, hit on a good amount of these. But I'd just be curious to know. Typically, what happens is that I'll we'll talk about it at the beginning, and then at the end, sometimes something new will come up. So I'd be mm-hmm. curious to know what have you learned during your evolution as being kind of like a founder team leader or CEO, like what have been some of the key things that have been, uh, really impactful for you uh, across your evolution?
1: I am a very active, energetic 66 year old. I'm thankful I'm still kicking at 66. I was a point guard on my high school basketball team, you know, I didn't start. I rode the bench except for Summer League. But a point guard sort of moves the team, right? It organized the team. It leads the fast break. It's go, go, go. And that's the way I've been. That's my nature is being that point guard, dishing the ball, taking the shot when necessary, getting people in the right place. That's my nature. What I've had to learn though, Kyle, is that more than getting stuff done, making stuff happen, as important as that is, It's important for me to be rooted like a tree and to grow my roots deep and not to think first and foremost about getting stuff done and helter-skelter and moving all over the place, making, making it happen. First and foremost, my current journey is how am I like a tree? Growing deep roots, having roots connected with other trees, flourishing below the surface where people can't see it. But mm-hmm. that's where the action is. And that's what I've had to learn is the action, Kyle, is below the surface where it's not always visible to others. And so that's been a key point of where I am now is how to grow deep, not mm-hmm. to worry about all the outcomes, not to worry about where you know other stuff going on around me is, is growing deep and letting the fruit grow, letting the master gardener cultivate me and grow the fruit. And the fruit that we all seek as humans, but we try to go about it so many different ways that actually harm, harm us are the fruits of love and joy and peace. And you don't tell me if we're, we have too much of those things, right? <laughs> we we don't. So that's where I am. That's been a key lesson of mine in the evolution of my my entrepreneurial journey right now.
0: Oh, that's so great. Thank you for sharing that, Greg. <clears throat> what is what has been the best or most rewarding thing to come out of your evolution
1: well hopefully my my marriage is is stronger right hopefully my yeah. wife and my kids and <laughs> and daughters in law and, and grandkids down the yeah. line will will feel that but in the city i'm i'm hoping that through the ventures and the friendships and the networks that i'm in that i'm animating and catalyzing that the, the city will will have some benefit to see the overflow of what's happening in my life across uh, across the city in some way. And it, but I'm not again, I'm not thinking, oh, my life's a failure if I don't see that. It is just being content where I am. You know, one thing I'm wrestling with is as a leader, how do you balance contentment with discontentment, right? Yeah. How are you content and and almost satisfied, but still hungry, still yeah. ambitious? And that balance is really important. And I'm still seeking that. I just know that I've been out of balance with respect to that inner contentment. I've always been a joyful person and peace, but just that, that settledness is coming more into vogue now and, uh, the outcomes and results I'm not as worried about. So Mm -hmm. I'm still wrestling with that, that wonderful tension between being fully content and yet still being hungry, ambitious to see things happen, Uh, I look forward to any insights you might have along the journey in, those, in that regard. Well,
0: I think naming it is probably the first thing, right? <laughs> right. I mean, I think that's the first probably, but like, I, I do think there's a, because they're at odds, the value sets are at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my my initial thought is just figuring out how to create, which one is the deeper long-term value? And then, you know, kind of settling into that, mm-hmm. um, I you know, and, and I think time and experience, those values shift and change, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of morph those things. Um, so, yeah, but I, 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 I yeah, I, I think that's a great, I think it's a great point and something, uh, something that can be learned in an unknown pod episode, podcast episode on that topic <laughs> in itself would be good to kind of, to talk through. So. That's good. Um, what about, like, if you were to have somebody that's, that, that's leading, that's just starting their career, what advice would you give them as they're starting out? Um, you know, if, if it's becoming a, an entrepreneur, a founder, a CEO, um, you know, if they're wanting to, you know, kind of uh, develop their career as they're just starting out, what would be kind of a couple of things that you would advise them in?
1: One is build relationship with some old people. Yeah. (laughs) Some sages, the savages, it shouldn't be a a binary dichotomous kind of transition, right? It should be, I'm a savage. I'm just learning. I'm just starting out, but I need a few sages in my life. Now I'll tell you why that's important. It's not just for the savage to have relation with the sage, but the sage needs the savage. And so again, that interdependency, and I would tell any young person, don't look anyone, look down on your youth. First of all, I'll tell you you can't solve the world's problems, even though you may think you got it all together. But two, the previous generation needs you. They're looking to you and they have the resources, the wisdom, whatever things can help you, but they need you just as much as you might need them. You, But you initiate. Yeah. Because generally they won't. The, you seek them out and form those relationships and uh, move forward together. Secondly, related to that, Raise friends before you raise funds. There's no fundraising apart from friend raising. Yeah. And so I would encourage young entrepreneurs is to, again, be a friend, be, be a friend. And then the funding, the, all the capital needs and whatnot will follow downstream from that.
0: Yeah, I love it. That's great. And again, you entered that interdependency between the savage and the sage. And naming the fact the sage might need the savage in some regards. That's right. It, it's beautiful. And it's in, and holistic and in, in my mind. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Greg, thank you so much for this conversation. Um, it was thrilling. Um, if people wanted to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Uh, my website is basically defunct. I'm, you know, I'm not marketing myself, Kyle. I'm just out there being rooted, getting stuff done, right? Yeah. But my, my email, my project email is dad at gmail.com. Sane is Enos backwards. And then I'm a dad. So I just thought sane dad would be a nice mashup of the two. dad <laughs> at gmail.com uh, would allow people to connect with me. I'm on LinkedIn. So Greg Enos uh, is my handle there. And so connect with me through LinkedIn as well.
0: Well, Greg, thank you so much for your time and uh, being able to share all of your sage advice on our Savage to Sage podcast.
1: You're welcome, pal. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com.